Welcome to Shame to Throne, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's, uh, I don't know, Yoko Ono of a TV show, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, my name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how you doing? Good. So then who's the John Lennon of that relationship? Uh, I don't know. We're going to call John Lennon this, uh, like the book series, I guess. And Yoko. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's more of a. Hey, you pulled that one out. I didn't think you were going to be able to, but yeah, you pulled it out. You know, I don't know if it works. Uh, it fooled you, but probably not anybody listening. <laughs> uh, you know, I these these quips at the beginning are well researched, and uh, you know, I have test audiences that I run them by, so they're all good. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about this shitty fucking episode. This is uh, Sons of the Harpy. This is season five, episode. What is it? Uh, four. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, initial impressions. Uh, you already spoiler alert. I just gave you mine, but uh, yeah, it fucking sucked. Pretty terrible. Like pretty irredeemable. Um, yeah. Episode. There was this. There's one. Mo- I'll, I'll ruin it right now. My favorite part was, I guess, the uh, the nice moment that Stannis had with his daughter. Um, that was it. Yeah. Uh, I I don't even remember anything I really liked. I, I mean, that was nice and all, but I, I also thought it was kind of boring too. I didn't really give a shit. Um, yeah. so all right, let's just go. Let's <laughs> yeah. Let's we didn't go. like it. We haven't liked a, a lot of these. No, but let's five. try to have fun during this one. Sometimes these yeah. episodes can get us down, so let's not let this one get us down. Yeah, it's like let's uh you know let's pick on the slow kid, but let's have a good time doing no. it. Do that. Sicko. All right. Anyway, uh, so the show opens with a fisherman returning home in the middle of the night for some goddamn reason, uh, and he gets cheap shotted right in the mouth by uh, Jorah Mormont. Uh, he gets knocked out, and Jorah steals the guy's boat, but tosses some money on his unconscious body because he's a nice guy. Um, he grabs a bound and gag Tyrion and throws him in the boat, and they leave Volantis. Uh, I guess so. Nice knowing you, shit town. Uh, we spent all of I don't know. 15 minutes in you, maybe. Uh, uh, so, we get to, I think we do uh, get to see it again later. Yeah, when, when Yara, uh, yeah, Yara stops by to fuck the tits off someone. Yep, that's right. So more good mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. <laughs> but all in all, this is just, uh, I guess, uh, you know, this is table setting. But I don't know if we needed this right at the beginning. Uh, it was the last thing that... Um, we saw at the end of last episode was Tyrion getting cap- taken captive by Jorah. Uh, but I don't know. This seems not like a seems like it's not a great start to an episode. What do you think? Agreed with you. Yes. I, I, I guess they're probably going for intrigue, but I'm not very intrigued. Maybe that's spoiled by the fact that we know these episodes so well, no, the story so well. I don't think so. We know both characters, too. Now, if Tyrion yeah. got kidnapped by somebody we didn't know, I think there would be some more suspense, right? Yeah, yeah, agreed. So we know what Tyrion wants to do. We know that Jorah, he's not going to, like, I I can't believe anybody would be fooled for a second that he was going to go back to Cersei. Like, you know, I I mean, that that makes sense, though, in hindsight, but it doesn't seem to fit his character, and we know him so well. So I I didn't even entertain that idea. Yeah. So I, I think it's clear that every motivation that he has is to to impress Danny. Yeah. So this was, yeah, this is there's not intriguing. This is uh already off to a bad start, right? Yes. Agreed. <laughs> All right, and then we get next scene. We have Jamie and Broad. They're uh, Broad. 
Uh, that's a good name. I'm going to call Jamie and Broad from now on. Uh, Broad are on a uh, they're on a merchant ship headed to Dorne. I guess the ship's heading somewhere else, but they're going to get off in Dorne. Uh, Jamie is topside and he sees an island and says, hey, what the fuck is that? Is that Estermont? And the guys know it's Tarth. And he's like, oh, that's where Brienne's from. So we get a nice little Jamie thinking about Brienne uh, moment. Uh, below decks, Braun spews some nonsense about how all the Dornish women are crazy fuckhounds or something. They like to drink and fuck and fight and whatever. Just some real nonsense garbage writing here. Uh, Braun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Braun, just like everybody else, knows that Marcella is Jamie's daughter, not his niece, and and he seems to be taken aback that Jamie's still keeping up the pretenses. But uh, uh, so I guess that's kind of interesting. Uh, Braun asks why the fuck Jamie is here in the first place. He didn't have to come personally, and I guess Braun guesses at that he freed Tyrion, and he's doing it at a sense of guilt or honor, uh, and that's right on the head. So uh, nice deducing there, Braun. Uh, but, uh, it comes out that Jamie sw- is not only upset with Tyrion, he is going to kill him if he sees him again. Uh, and that's how the scene ends. Yeah. I think that was pretty much, uh, his attitude in the book as well. So th- there was inner monologue, I think, where he questioned whether he actually would be able to kill Tyrion if he saw him again. Right. Uh, but yeah, the scene sucked. Yeah. And it's more, it's once again, it's. It's more interesting in the book because J- Jamie was complicit in the plot to have Tyrion's first wife raped repeatedly, yeah. and uh, you know he was part of that crime even at a young age. So uh, it's a little maybe he doesn't. You know, right now he just freed Tyrion, and Tyrion killed his dad. Uh, he's got to feel completely betrayed uh, in this timeline, I guess, or in this uh, fan fiction show that we're yes. dealing with right now. Agreed. All right, so uh, where do we go next? Next, we go to a small council meeting. Uh, it's just Mace, Pycelle, and Cersei. Mace provides an update on the Crown's current finances. Apparently, they owe a lot to the Iron Bank, and Tyrell offers to front the money. Uh, actually, the Iron Bank is calling in a percentage of their the debt that the Lannisters or the Crown owes, uh, presumably in response to Tywin's death. Uh, also, to put the screws to towards the Lannisters or the Crown. I guess it's the Crown. I guess. Yeah, Tyrell. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's all tied up. I mean, I don't know that right. it could be teased out really. Um, Tyrell offers to front the money. Uh, Cersei declines that offer. Instead, sends Mace to negotiate terms with the Iron Bank and makes Baron Trent escort him. It's clear that she is simply eliminating another member of the small council, so she has more and more control. Pycelle, um, as Mace uh, leaves. Pycelle remarks uh, that the small council is growing smaller, to which Cersei responds that it's not small enough. Yeah. So there's a lot of funny uh, just Mace being Mace. Mace just, being uh, Mace is enjoyable, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. but uh, there are otherwise um, – I mean this is basically cut and paste from other scenes where she's kind of sent other people to go do things, clearly an effort to limit the number of people on the, the small council and gather more power for herself. But the other thing that's stupid to me though – is that they are in a lot? They do owe a lot of money to the Iron Bank, and the Iron Bank will fuck them up if they don't pay it. So I don't understand. I mean, I know what her her motivation is, but it seems very myopic, uh, as tends to be Cersei's moves. I, I, I what? Okay, that's that's very valid. Uh, my the reason why I'm find this baffling is Mace isn't exactly somebody who who's hard to manipulate. So right, why get rid of him if you're going to get rid of anybody who's going to stand in your way? 
I don't know anybody's like Picel is not going to stand in your way. I I don't think there's anybody in the small council that's going to get in our way now that like uh, Kevin Lannister isn't around. Um, yeah, and he, he offered to pay off. I mean, that would yeah. at least hold the Iron Bank at bay. Uh, but she's just looking at what's in front of her, not not looking down the road. Um, right? Again, why? Uh, why couldn't she? Typical please, Cersei. Yeah. Why? Why wouldn't she just take the money? Yeah. Yeah. We'll pay you back. You're like, I'm gonna fuck over. She's gonna fuck over the Tyrells anyway. Like, I guess you know, on the surface, it seems like she doesn't want to be indebted to him. But at the same time, she has no love for him. Just take the fucking money. Um, yeah. Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And they are already are so far in debt. I don't. I doubt it really matters yeah, at this point. It's all. You know, fake numbers once you get above a certain uh, dollar yeah. amount. So next, uh, Cersei goes to meet with the High Sparrow, who declines to day drink with her. He is apparently a teetotaler, but not because of alcohol, primarily because he doesn't like the taste. Cersei uh, called the High Sparrow in because the religion is kind of being abused throughout Westeros. Uh, people are attacking seps, that sort of thing. To remedy this, Cersei um, offers to discuss reviving the faith of Militant with Tommen, with the High Sparrow to lead. Cersei apparently thinks this is a smart move because the High Sparrow does not appear to be power-hungry. And Cersei is bringing them back the Faith Militant specifically to punish the rich who are beyond justice. Uh, Cersei then begins snitching on someone who uh, just happens to be uh, Loras Tyrell, I think as we learn later in the episode. Or li- likely as Loras Tyrell. Yeah, uh, does this uh, plan make any sense? No, uh, really stupid. Uh, because... The High Sparrow, uh, he, he, he I, I, I don't understand the High Sparrow, the way they did this. So in the books, it's the opposite. The High Sparrow goes to speak to Cersei, wants to be the Septon, High Septon, and he offers to forgive a significant, I think it's a million gold yeah, dragons, which is like a yeah. huge amount. I mean, I think the debt to the Iron Bank that they're discussing is, was like two million dragons at some point. So, I mean, it's a significant debt. And so that makes sense because the High Sparrow is yeah. apparently chasing power. Yeah, the High Sparrow he, brings it up. Yeah, yeah. So brings up, that uh, makes why would sense. she bring this up? Why is she like, oh, yeah, you can arm yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I think it is so that she she is attempting to gain more power. She thinks by putting him in power, she will have the ability to control to manipulate him. Manipulate him, yeah. And then to go after the specific Tyrells that she wants to go after Again, more short-sighted, but I don't think that the High Sparrow as he's been presented in the show to this point makes any sense. And if you take out him asking this position, then it makes, I mean, no sense, I don't no, think. No, it doesn't. And, and once again, if you, you don't, you know, if you, if you have a feeling about somebody, but they have no previous work experience, you don't, you know, let them run the franchise. Yeah. You let them run one store, like, to see how it goes. Why don't you try manipulating the High Sparrow on something smaller before you you know, give him carte blanche to form a private army. Hey, how about this? Let fucking Paisal run the high, sp- run the faith militant. Then you absolutely have control. Right, over exactly. That. Yeah, you just uh, <laughs> put somebody else in charge. Yeah, and have this guy killed. Fuck it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just yeah. baffling. This makes no sense. And once again, uh, this it, it, you're right. It, this kind of is in the book, but it's so different that this is almost unrecognizable. No, and it's and the the changes make it not have any sense as it did have make sense in the book. Right. And I read online the explanation was that it was purposeful to cut down on subplots while still allowing the rise of the faith militant and the eventual effects of that to be Cersei's fault. But when you take away the thing that is motivating the the whole the whole, the entire faith militant and the High Sparrow, 
uh, a clearly a high sparrow that's seeking power, as this guy was not seeking power, did not appear. Yeah. To the contrary, it just doesn't make any sense. And so that that's the kind of we talk about writing. This is the kind of change that anybody who thought through would have thought, okay, you know what, we have to change this to make it make more sense. But uh, then again, I don't know how many people are looking at the show through a microscope as we are right now. So, I I I think a lot of people aren't looking at it through a microscope. I think people are just glancing at it and seeing it as terrible. Yeah, because I mean, this season has been universally panned by both like fans and critics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was it was really bad. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it, this doesn't make any sense, and this it's just a mess. Like yeah, and you know, I this is one of these things that this show has done several times. I understand the universe is so large; it's difficult to have brought all these things up. But I, I almost feel like it's cheating when they bring in such a, a, a strong force that's a fundamental shift in power, yeah. and we had no idea of it. Uh, you know, fifty some odd exactly. episodes. Exactly. It's and 40. it's so quick. That was my. Uh, yeah. I was going to bring this up later when like they start bashing heads because that's. Uh, Actually, that's that's that happens now, right? They go, they just fucking. As soon as she are, gives the go ahead, like immediately they spring into action, and there's like hundreds of dudes willing to like carve things in their head and bust. Yeah, ass. I thought you were gonna recap that section. I, I'll Did, do it right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So and then, so th- leading into this, the violence and malevolence of this just seems so out of line with the previous High Sparrow and the way he'd been conducting business. And not only that, they're going after these things like smashing wine. Yeah, that, I mean that's perfectly legal. There's no reason why they should be going after these things that are perfectly legal. Even I think homosexuality, like all the, the different sexual aspects that they are seem to be enforcing now, that it's, that wasn't a, a huge deal. I don't think within the the book universe. No, no. It. I I have a comment on this. Okay, so let's go right into yeah, it. So okay. they. So yeah, Cersei says, go ahead. You know, form the private army as long as you take out this one person. So, um, yeah. So. Yeah, the army goes in the motion. These guys are, they're just like monks. They look like monks, black robes, um, you know, either shaved heads or buzz cuts for the most part. They have cudgels instead of swords, and they just go around beating the shit out of people. First, they take out a uh, tavern, outdoor cantina that we've seen before, you know, so everything's okay. Everybody's happy. They're playing dun 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 and then these fuckers come in, start pushing people around and busting up the barrels of alcohol. Uh, you know, later they go into a brothel, Littlefinger's brothel, and start beating up everybody, throwing the prostitutes around. But they get to uh, two dudes that are, um, you know, two dudes getting it on, and they're having none of that. So they pull out a knife and presumably mutilate the guy, castrate him. I don't know. Take it, take the violence even farther up. Uh, and eventually they capture. Uh, Loras, who's out practicing in his with his sword, but doesn't grab his sword to defend himself. It's weird, um, but and that's pretty much it. Uh, and I'll take you into uh, Large Marge's reaction in a second. But I think that the them focusing on destroying the booze and their anti uh, homosexuality uh, tilt that seems to be played out for the show is done specifically to make parallels with religious organizations in the real world for the viewer watching the show uh, yeah yeah i guess so uh, I, yeah it just doesn't it doesn't seem like it's thought through i mean it, it, that this is what has to happen in the show obviously but it just does it feels so out of well, place no. with what we know and i, yeah, I think ahead. i think it's uh, the the high sparrow and the faith militant are more against corruption and more against the the high lord's uh 
uh, thinking they're above the law. Yeah, I, I think they're 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 against corruption, not necessarily these minor vices. Uh, I might be wrong. It's been a while since I. Um, it's been some time uh, since I uh, read the books, obviously. But uh, I think they're definitely playing it up to strike a chord in the viewer. Yes, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think that's a fair uh, <coughs> fair assessment. Okay, <laughs> kind of lost there. So yeah. All right. So uh, Marge finds out her brother was taken prisoner by these crazy, uh, you know, David Koresh people. And asked, uh, Tommen, what the fuck is up? Why is your brother locked up? Tommen is naive, um, completely. Um, says, and she's, and she's like, you know why he was locked up or who did it? And hints that it's his mother. And Tommen is completely naive to the fact that his mother and his wife don't get along, which is pretty shocking considering, you know, I know he's supposed to be innocent, but they aged him up here. Um, but regardless, he doesn't realize that his mom and his wife are not getting along. Uh, <laughs> Marge tells him to do something, be a fucking man. Um, so he goes off to his mommy, and she's all, did I lock up Laura Terrell? <laughs> and, uh, you know, she denies having anything to do with it, uh, and then eventually calls into question his manhood as well. She's like, well, you're the king. Go tell him to let the uh, let Loras go. So he rolls up to the High Sept with a small force of Kingsguard and Lannister men, but it's barred from entry because the High Sparrow is praying and can't be disturbed. Um, so these crazy monks are there barring the king's way, and Tommen is uh, kind of put a rock in a hard place. The Kingsguard is eager to just murder them all, as was I, uh, but Tommen yeah. hesitates. <laughs> uh, being scared uh, and maybe not knowing what the best political move here is, it could be a political nightmare because he's like, you know, kill them on the steps of the of the sept. Like it's going to be blasphemous. Um, so he's hesitant, and then in the crowd, people start cursing, hurling insults at him for being an incest baby, all these abomination bastard, all that shit. So he loses his, um, you know, he loses his uh, nerve uh, and decides to go back and find quote another way. He goes back and tells Large Marge the bad news, and she is pissed. She calls him a pussy or minge, I guess, in the uh, parlance of uh, the <laughs> Yeah, uh, snowflake, whatever. Um, she says she's basically going off to stay with her family. It's like the equivalent of, like, I'm going to stay with my sister. Um, says she needs her family right now. Uh, and basically tells Tom and he's he's going to have a dry dick for the <laughs> until further notice, essentially. Uh, so she ain't happy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that they. I, I. I wish they would have emphasized the point that this was like holy ground. I don't think they really got that across very well. Uh, that You're might right. have motivated his uh, reason for very, not. Yeah, he said it very quickly and under his breath. Yeah, uh, I did like the people yelling off screen. Uh, <laughs> people yelling off screen always makes me laugh. Um, right. Just, uh, but. Yeah, uh, frustration with Tommen's lack of uh, agency, but uh, that's the character, so uh, that's the character. Yeah, yeah, I guess, but this all, and once again, this whole thing seems very rushed. These guys are instantly uh, forced to be reckoned with. Um, uh, I'm just not... I'm just not interested. I'm not pulled in. I don't know yeah. what it is. And I, 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 I think you're right for everything you said, but I don't think it's just that. I think there's several reasons why this just isn't compelling to watch. 
Um, I don't know. No, the only time that this entire Tommen thing gets interesting is when he, he fucking kills himself. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. A, the, the most interesting part of the most intriguing part of his whole uh, plot here. Um, all right, know. so uh, let's see. It's yeah, I don't much to say about that. See, yeah. So next we go to Back to the Wall. Uh, Stannis is telling his trash wife about how he thinks highly of John. Uh, I forget her name. I'm just going to call her trash wife. That's fine. Uh, Trash wife expresses regret for not giving him a son and also giving him a scarred girl, even though, of course, the scarred girl was due to, uh, due to, I guess, a plot against Stannis, not due to her fault. Mel arrives and says that these scars are no big deal to the Lord of Light. The trash wife departs, and Stannis and Mel begin discussing the plan to march on Winterfell. He is going to take Mel this time after the last battle he lost where he left her behind uh, for Davos. Uh, very quickly, uh, one thing I didn't notice was Stannis is instantly dubious that Ned would father a bastard, which is, you know, pretty spot on. Um, yeah. but, well, we get, we get to the scene later though. Um, but you think it was a intentional plot to get to Stannis that Solis got fucked or not, uh, Shireen got fucked up? I, yeah, you know what? I Does don't that know. Make, that makes I, a lot of sense. I didn't even think about it. I thought it was just like happenstance that it happened. But you're right. Like the Dornish probably hate everybody involved in the rebellion because they were in deep with the Targaryens. They were married. I mean, they were they were royalty, right? Yeah. Well, well the reason I think that is because how would this person have transported this toy over, presumably touching hands to different people? Um, you know, that and it, nobody else got infected, or at least they didn't figure it out. It somehow miraculously ended up with Stannis. But then again, I guess Stannis or other people from Stannis would have had to, uh, had to have had touched it as well. So, uh, I, I it's not explained well. It is um, not explained I, well, but I uh, kind of assumed it was an attack, but I don't, now that you've questioned me about it, I don't have an explanation. Well, for now that you, que- that you brought it up because I thought it was just happenstance. Uh, yeah. I think it, think you that guy could be possibly right because the people that the way they're portrayed anyway, the Dornish, the way they're portrayed in this show are crazy, unscrupulous assholes and probably would try something like this. So that's, it's very interesting. But then again, they don't hurt little girls over in Dorn. That's what they always say. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Sam is having John sign off on a number of letters requesting men and supplies for the King's watch. Um, John comes upon a letter to Roose Bolton, initially refuses to sign it because he murdered his family. Sam makes the case, and John eventually signs off, but he is disgusted with himself. Sam leaves to go send the letters when Mel arrives. Mel asks John to follow her and Stannis south so that they can take advantage of his knowledge while attacking Winterfell. John refuses, and Mel continues to try to convince them by whipping out at them titties. Um, John gives a little squeeze Rooney. Uh, he's somewhat interested at first. Mel said some nonsense about the, the power of life and light, and I don't know what it means. And she tries to get up on him to convince him to go. John then says he swore an oath, and he also loved another, then puts an end to the, uh, the potential fun time. Mel then leaves frustrated and unfulfilled. Uh, then right before she walks out the door, she kind of coyly says the egret signature line, Why are you so stupid, Jon Snow? Yep, that's it. Word for word. Yep. <laughs> yep. So... Uh, yeah, so John's a better man than I for putting aside his personal hatred for Bruce Bolton and sending him a letter asking for men. 
I wouldn't have done it. I would have at the very most like said, hey, the assistant Lord Commander wants people (laughs) and then add like Sam sign his name. Uh, So I wouldn't have put my name to that thing at all. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you you don't want to you don't want to hold an active grudge if you're trying to get over it. But you also don't want to essentially beg like it's like. You know, I know you killed my family, but uh, I've got this Kickstarter going on. Uh, can you ha- go ahead over to the GoFundMe page? And uh, I really want to be an actor. And I really think if I just get $500, I can go to oh, California, live on a couch. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems ridiculous, like a bridge too far um, for me personally. Um, I know this is discussed in the books. I just don't know how it plays out exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't recall either. Um, yeah, I, I don't This kind of scene. This scene was kind of a throwaway, it seemed like to me. I, I don't really know what the point was, um, other than to show some boobs. I, I don't really know what the point oh, was. Oh, yeah, and this is the third pitch John's gotten to like yeah. take Winterfell. And I guess it's the Three Temptations of Christ if you want to get, you want to like see too much into it, which I'm going to. Uh, but it still is dumb because he's told Stannis no. He told Stannis no again, and Davos gave him a pep talk. He told him no. Uh, during the same scene, and then now she's coming with sex, and um, he doesn't fall for it. So, uh, yeah, and seemingly without uh, without Stannis's permission. Otherwise, I mean, because I don't yeah. think Stannis would want her to go around banging him. Yeah, because she famously uh, says that cliche line that you know all people cheating say he doesn't have to know about it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a little odd scene, uh, not but. Kind of fit in with this uh, episode. Yeah, so. it's just a, a little bit of a mess. Yeah, who gives a shit? And who so gives next? a shit? All right, so Stannis is doing some work in his office, I guess, like paperwork. I don't know. Shereen comes in to bother him because she's bored. Uh, they talk about how horrible his wife is, slash her mother, Celise, the trash wife. Um, and how, yeah, she says she didn't want him to come al- or her to come along on this adventure. And he's like, why would you say that? Because she said that exact thing to me. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> Uh, and then she's feeling down on herself, so she asks Stannis if he's ashamed of her. And then Ta- Stannis tells the whole story about how she got Grayscale from uh, pressing a doll to her face from a Dornish trader who was trying to dress up the doll in the family colors or whatever. Um, and everyone told Stannis to give up on Shireen, that she would soon die, send her east to live with the Stonemen. Once again, they're setting that up for next episode. Uh, and Stannis said, fuck all that noise. Uh, and he spent a fortune, brought macers from all over the world, and they healed her. Because she is a princess, she's a princess Shireen, and she is his daughter. So I thought this was a very genuinely touching moment uh, between Stannis and her. But obviously this is just there to uh, make the tragedy uh, worse at the end, and also make it more nonsensical when Stannis burns her in like four episodes or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only point of it. I don't. I don't know what other potential point there could be. Yeah, but uh, did you, you you weren't touched by this uh, scene? No, because he's kind of made these speeches not quite as long in other episodes. Uh, I don't know that I really cared about the daughter so much. Um, you know, I, especially not on a rewatch when you know she's eventually going to get torched. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, don't, uh, I never really cared about her. I, I I mean she's not a compelling uh presence like uh the uh, the girl the uh yeah. like 10-year-old who's uh ass kicker 
But I do feel bad for her because she's like kind of like an orphan. Nobody wants her. Like she has a mother who outright hates her and a father who just has other things to do and is not very emotional or caring or involved in her life in any way. So she's kind of like just has she kind of doesn't fit in. I mean, Davos is more of a father to her than her parents. So uh I feel bad for her. She doesn't I don't hate her. Uh but you're right. She's she's not the most compelling character, I guess. But I don't like I said, I don't hate her. No, I don't hate her either. I just, uh, you know, d- 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 I think she's kind of a, just a, a puppet to me. You know, we've talked about that before. I don't yeah. really get that emotionally invested with the the people so much. The the werewolves on the, or the uh, the, the wolves dogs, on the other hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. Sure. All right. So next, uh, Sansa is in the Winterfell tombs, lighting candles when Littlefinger finds her. Actually, she finds a feather, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, I did not put this together. I read it online that the feather that she found was actually from one of the first episodes where Robert Baratheon yeah. visits the uh, tombs, and he apparently would go leave her special things. And one of the things that he left her was a, a, a feather from a tropical bird earlier in the series. Littlefinger and Sansa discuss Aunt Lyanna, how her father went go and lit, light candles for her on a regular basis. Littlefinger tells a story about actually seeing her, tells a story about how uh, he saw Rhaegar, Tar- Rhaegar Tar- Targaryen, the then prince, when a horsey tournament, uh, Rhaegar ra- rode past his future or his wife. His current wife, to yeah. Li- yeah, to Lyanna and gave her some roses. And this led to the thousands of dying, of course, uh, the later Tower of Joy scene that we see in the sixth season. And then uh, Sansa raises the point that uh, Rhaegar kidnapped and raped Aunt Lyanna, which and it's never really clear what happened, whether I think it's I think yeah. the implication is that it was probably mutual, but it's never clear. And it depends on who's telling yeah, the story. Let's, let's start. Let's uh, pause the scene real quick to discuss that. So mm-hmm. this is the uh, famous uh, tournament uh, at Heron Hall scene that is told in the books by a few different characters. Um, what is left out is the first part of the uh, tournament in which Lyanna Stark actually uh, enters the tournament masquerading as a knight. Um, to teach some squires a lesson that we're picking on uh, uh, Mira and Jojen's dad. Forgot that guy's name. Um, whatever. Anyway, she was she was in the tournament kicking ass. Uh, she's like a little Arya, basically. Um, and that's what I guess caught the eye of um, Rhaegar. Uh, and Rhaegar oh, okay. does this. Um, and, and Baelish obviously thinks the whole Lyanna was ca- kidnapped and raped. Uh, she, he thinks it's bullshit, obviously. And he looks at Sansa like, you gotta be kidding me. This is what you believe. Um, but we don't get the full story from Baelish. So Baelish knows what's what, or it's alluded to that he does. Um, I, I obviously think that it wasn't, uh, I think it was totally consensual more than likely. Um, uh, but it was just so taboo. I mean, right. It's one thing to have an affair, that's another thing to just be so blatant about it and just run off and rub it in anybody, everybody's faces. Like, you know, people, I guess just didn't want to believe that they just ran off and have a crazy, mad love affair. Um, I guess it makes more sense to demonize him and mm-hmm. make her innocent, completely innocent in the situation. I don't know. That's my feelings, but who knows? Yeah. Well, and again, it also depends on who's telling this story. So, yeah. well, I imagine we'll it'll come out eventually. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. So next, uh, 
see. Here we go. Uh, Littlefinger has to uh, – Cersei – or sorry, Cersei. Sansa asks Littlefinger what he's doing. Apparently he's wearing riding clothes. Um, he says that he's going east to the capital because Cersei has summoned him. Sansa doesn't want him to leave, but Sir, uh, Littlefinger tells her that she's ready to be on her own. Littlefinger thinks that she actually won't be there alone long because Stannis should be there soon. And Stannis should be able to take the Winterfell because uh, he's got more – he's the greatest general and he's got more people. Uh, and he, Littlefinger further thinks that Sansa will be rescued by, uh, by uh, Stannis and um, name her the Wardeness of the North because she is the last living Stark as far as he knows. If not, then she must make Ramsay hers. A little finger thinks that because she's learned from the best, she'll be able to manipulate Ramsey, and then at the same and time, Ramsey's Sans- already in love with her, which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. and Sansa also says that uh, she's scared of Roose, which a little finger says you should be. He's a dangerous man. He then gives her a long smoochie. Uh, I, I went back and forth as to whether that was sexual or not. I think it probably is. Mm-hmm. He finishes by saying the North will be hers, and. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I, the last thing I remember about this relationship was in season six is you know when she confronts him about leaving her to uh, be right. brutalized by Ramsay. But you know, when watching this scene, I think it really looks like he is looking out for her and he thinks that he's doing the right thing by her, it, even it though does. He, he sold her in the marriage. Yeah, yeah, and he he thinks this is a low risk situation uh, because this is all show invention, though. Um, it ruins Littlefinger's character and Sansa is collateral damage because the whole plan hinges on Stannis taking uh, Winterfell and if that doesn't work out, she'll, you know, Sansa the now mastermind will be able to control Ramsay or uh, manipulate the people, which is just fucking ridiculous. Like, uh, Littlefinger would never be, he would have like a plan B or C or something else. Maybe he wouldn't tell Sansa but you would think yeah. he'd have a backup plan for him always winning. I mean, that's what great schemers do. They win no matter what the outcome is. Even when they lose, they win, kind of. Um, and this just seems so... It seems like it's resting on too frivolous of a, a ground here, um, Stannis winning. And he says he's a gambling man, but it's just... It doesn't It doesn't ring true. It rings hollow. doesn't seem like no, something... I, little I agree with you. It's also just odd... Um, the other exchange that's kind of odd in this scene is where she says, when you return, I will be a married woman, which I, I guess the implication that she will no longer be a virgin. Is that I question whether that was a comment to him to kind of bring up her womanhood and like hint that maybe they could be together. I, I don't uh, know. This I don't know really- either. I mean, and she's already been married, even if the wedding wasn't consummated. Yeah. Uh, so she's she was already somebody's wife. But I don't know. It, it yeah, right. I don't know why she brought it up. Yeah, it's poorly yeah, poorly written, poorly constructed and new knows. All right. So, all right. Okay, so Bron and Jamie are rowing a small boat to the Dornish shore. So they've left the merchant ship. Uh Jamie can't help row because he's only got one hand. Anyway, uh they take a little sleepy uh, on the shore once they get there and Bron kills a snake that was dangerously close to Jamie's sleeping face. Uh, and he cooks it for Ugh. breakfast. <laughs> they have a boring conversation about what's the best way to die. Braun wants to die, you know, fat and happy with his sons uh, vying for his fortune. 
Uh, and Jamie wants to die in the arms of Cersei. What a bitch. Uh, <laughs> and Braun says, are you sure she loves you too? And Jamie gets all huffy and says, we got to go. And throws away his snake and <laughs> push, kicks over the fire. Like, I hate this. I, I'll get to it. I'll go on a Doug rant, but uh, I'll try to keep it in. So uh, Jamie abruptly, uh, yeah, they, they leave. Uh, Braun questions the loyalty of the sailors that were on the merchant ship and wonders why they won't sell them out. Uh, Jamie says they swore vows and took money. Uh, and Braun's like, that's bullshit. They, they don't care. And then sure enough, Dornish riders show up on cue and, uh, Braun, they try to hide, but they see their footsteps in the sand. Uh, Braun uh, stands up and says, lies, says they are Cooper and Darnell or Darnell. Did you get that line? Yeah, I didn't. I did not notice it during the show, but I read it online. So, yeah, I guess he goes, this is I'm Cooper and this is Darnell or Darnell, whatever it is. So that's weird. Uh, Great cover, though. Uh, (laughs) uh, But the Dornish guys are not buying it. uh, And Braun attacks, dispatching all of the fighters except for one. Uh, that he lets Jamie fight, even though he cut the guy down, he cut the guy's horse down, so he could have just stepped over him and gave him a little stabby while he was on the ground getting up. But whatever, I guess he had to give Jamie something to do. So Jamie gets to fight, he gets his ass kicked, uh, he's about to get killed, but is saved when his gold hand catches a sword, uh, and the guy can't remove it from uh, embedding it, 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 the sword being embedded in his hand, and Jamie stabs the guy, kills him. Uh, every, they all they kicked everybody's ass. They're, everybody's ready to go. Uh, Braun wants the GTFO, but Jamie says they need to bury the bodies because they need to avoid starting a war. Which it seems like they're going to start a war regardless of what the fuck they do. Yeah, like, this is the this, dumbest thing in the world, right? Fucking sense. Yeah. So I I do not understand it when Marcella suddenly disappears from there and then she's back in um at King's Landing. They're not going to be upset about it. I mean, is it what so? Actually, let me ask you this, Doug. What is the reason that she's down there? She was down there to get the Dornish. Uh, it was Tyrion's idea. So right. Tyrion, when he was the hand of the king and he was running shit, was like, "Hey, uh, we need Dorn on our side. We're fighting a war, you know, on several fronts. Uh, we can't have the Dornish against us as well. We need to in in uh, because the Dornish were just standoffish, kind of like the Arryns and the uh, the Vale." So it's a whole, you know, a seventh of the kingdom with a untouched military force. Uh, he didn't want them, you know, deciding to rise up in rebellion. So he uh, sent Marcella down there to, you know, basically be fostered there and also marry eventually somebody, one of the Dornish kids, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why she's there in the first place. Um, but obviously, this like blatant attack or blatant threat. To Marcella's life with the whole snake thing doesn't happen in the books. Um, it's it's a little crazy. I mean this this is just ridiculous. If if you want to get Marcella out, you would I don't know have a spy kind of go in and infiltrate maybe. Uh, and no, then, it has to be me. It has to be you. Shut, this is so fucking stupid. <laughs> so all right, let me let's 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 you go. We're gonna let you go through the next scene, and then I'll go off on a Doug rant. So what do you how do you feel? About all that? right. All right. All right, it's uh, sand skank time. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, so uh, the sand skanks uh, apparently 
down in the uh, Dornish lands, the bastards are referred to as sand. That's um, a last name, like the snow, snow in yes. uh, the north. Yep. <clears throat> and then the uh, snake, of course, comes from the uh, Oberon Martell's nickname of the Red Viper. So these are his daughters, or uh, I guess I guess they're actually his daughters. Um, Larry uh, apparently got away after murdering the prince somehow. Uh, no explanation as to how all that happened. Um, her and the Sand Skanks uh, plan to start a war. They reveal that they have the captain of Jamie's ship buried up to his head. Uh, so they know that Jamie is on the way to get Marcella, and they want to go kill Marcella before Jamie is able to rescue her. Illyria offers uh, the, uh, the ultimatum to the, all the three Sandskakes, uh, either peace or war, and they all ch- they choose war. Uh, one of them tells a stupid story about meeting Oberon. I don't know what the fuck that was. Uh, they then kill the informer with a with a spear. Uh, which, I mean, why would you do that? Don't, wouldn't you want allies or people who came to you with information? Wouldn't you want to reward them instead of kill them? Well, plus, the guy was being surrounded by scorpions, so he was going to die anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's the, the, I can't, I, God, I hate these people. Yeah. And it's not just that the, this, this, these terrible scene and terrible plot line that comes, uh, it's, they're also terrible actors, I think. Yeah. I, I think these fucking suck, so all of them. Here's my theory. So I think I've said this theory again. I'm going to give it the, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this will follow through, but it's like Dorn was like um, um, a history test for a kid who hates history. And they're like, fuck, I got to take this test. I don't want to study for it. Oh, Jesus. All right, fine. Uh, okay, let me open the book, uh, skim through it. Okay, and here we go. And I'm going to write a paper. And the paper's just horseshit because he had to get it done but he hated doing it. That's how the showrunners feel about Dorn. They fucking hate Dorn. It is obvious in this like half-assed constructed plot, the the characters, the fucking and the reason that we have these three sand skanks is the same reason we had a former um porn star as Shay. I think D&D the showrunners or whoever these producers are said, "Hey, I you know, let's get three hot girls that we find attractive for whatever our individual uh perversions are and let's let them run the show. We're going to have hot sexy women just do terrible things cuz that's what I like." Um this this it's cuz it's all awful. The the location. The location is a fucking yeah, beach. A weird dune. It's what a beach. This? And they, did, <laughs> they filmed, yeah, they filmed, jo- they filmed, uh, uh, Jamie and Braun just like outside the resort <laughs> on the yeah. beach and they didn't even go anywhere else to do the sand skanks, like further down the beach, the same, obviously the same fucking place. Yeah. Oh, it's just, they didn't put any effort into any of the storyline and that's why we were all relieved when it ended um, abruptly at the beginning of season six because it was done so awfully. And once again, I'm not a big fan of the Dornish in the uh, book. Uh, they were brought along, you know, as what I felt was too late in the story to learn about a whole nother family and all this intrigue. Uh, yeah. But still, there's another. There's got to be several different ways to do a Dornish subplot and make it interesting. This is this is fucking irredeemably awful. In all aspects, yeah, and actually, I read online today that um, the, the 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 decision to add this Dornish plotline 
uh, in season five came actually relatively late in the development process and writing process. And they realized that they could kind of shoehorn it in and compress down some storylines uh, through. And no the, one would notice. <laughs> through sending Braun and, and Jamie down there and kind of mixing all this up. And it just, I, you can see, you, I mean, you can tell. It just doesn't seem yeah. like it's all thought through. or It seemed like no they were just coked up one night. The they were audience. just coked up. They were doing yeah. coconut. Yeah, DB, uh, D&D are hanging out. They're doing coconut. They're like, yeah. And then we can get uh, Braun. Everybody likes Braun and Braun and uh, Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. And then, uh, uh, you know, we'll go to the beach and we'll be able to hang out at the beach. <laughs> oh, these guys. This is fucking terrible. This is uh, yeah. insulting. Uh, I hate it so much. Uh, so I can't talk about it anymore because I'm going to. I don't have anything else to say about it. Um, it's garbage. <laughs> Absolute garbage. And I mean, we say, I think we need to quantify that one more time because you say certain things are garbage and I feel like this is another level of trash. Oh yeah. This is the worst of the worst. No question about it. All right. So moving on, uh, we get another pairing that should be, I guess, interesting and it just isn't. We get Tyrion and Jorah floating down a river. But I don't know what river it is since Volantis is a coastal town. But whatevs. Jorah finally ungags Tyrion and uh, he, Tyrion gets to the bottom of who Jorah is, where they're going, all that. Um, and Tyrion thinks it's hilarious slash stupid that he got kidnapped since they're both heading the same direction once he founds out that Jorah's taking him to Danny. Uh, but Jorah still doesn't trust him. Uh, won't untie him. Tyrion further deduces all sorts of stuff about uh, Jorah like he's fucking Sherlock Holmes. He looks at his pants and is like, you know, you're a northern guy, you have a bear, you're Jorah Mormit, uh, the only reason you're here and not with your queen is she must have sent you away and now you think you're going to do this and you have uh, an insatiable love for Hot Pockets. I can tell because there's a stain on your sleeve. <laughs> like, he just deduces everything. And eventually uh, he insults them and, uh, you know, says, hey, it's just as likely that uh, I'll be pardoned and you'll be executed instead of the other way around. And I guess Jorah had enough of it. He walks over calmly and backhands Tyrion. And that's the end of that scene. Yeah. I, I don't think that the deduction was not that's that far out of line. Um, but no, uh, it's, it's just I think it's ridiculous how it was executed by Tyrion. Like instead of them having a dialogue. Tyrion just has a yeah. soliloquy about, uh, not a soliloquy, but, you know, a monologue about all this shit, and Jorah's just staring off into space. Uh, it just seems a little dumb. Like, they could have had a angry conversation or an unfriendly conversation, and all this could have come out a little bit more naturally, I think. Um, I just, yeah. I, I don't like Tyrion being the... Sherlock Holmes. Sher- yeah, exactly. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. That's what it seemed. It seemed unnatural. Yeah, I got you. All right, so now uh, we go to Marine, and Selmy and Danny are looking down at the city. Selmy tells a story about how Rhaegar Targaryen would go among the common folk and sing. He would collect the money and then he'll give the money away. All very amusing. Uh, Danny. <clears throat> then Dario arrives to summon Danny to see Hisdar, and Danny goes down to the throne room and meets Hisdar. Hisdar begs to reopen the fighting pits. Uh, it's, op- it's supposed to be opening day, and nothing's happening. Hisdar thinks everyone will bond together over the fighting pit, and uh, that's kind of interspersed with shots of the sons of Harpy creeping around. Yeah. I, I mean, I could go on. I could tell more about it, but it's just... Uh, uh, yeah. 
Uh, are we? Uh, do we care? Like, uh, as an audience member, do you care whether the fighting pits are open or not? No, I don't. <laughs> like, even a little bit. Like, I think you're supposed to feel Danny's um, being uh, stuck in a you know in a hard spot. Like, what do I do? Uh, but I don't get that. I don't. I don't no, care. I mean we've discussed uh, the stupidity of the fighting pits. In other episodes, I mean, it's the the idea of these guys like Dario has probably killed hundreds of people to live to end up where he is. Like the, uh, you know, it's one thing where a fighting sport or, or combat sport where people live, that's fine. But if people literally die and they're forced into it, um, it's it's terrible. I, you know, and I, it's his his whole theory is that this will reunite the two sides, but. I don't see how the common folk or slaves wouldn't see this as anything other than a vehicle of exploitation that it has been in the past. Uh, I mean, the, the fighting, I think, is probably a master's only enjoyment or pastime. Um, because otherwise, I mean, it could be your son or your friend. I mean, so many people have ki- been killed in the fighting pits to the to the one person out of a thousand that lives through the entire time and gains fame and fortune. I don't know. Just the whole concept seems ridiculous to me. In the and book, the idea that yeah. reunite everyone as well, I just don't, I don't understand it. Well, I mean that's that's kind of pulled from the books. Danny says yes to this kind of as a PR um, stunt to like get the people on her side, um, but his dar, uh, which isn't the case in the show, owns he he owns some fighting pits and he bought up all the other ones. Right. So you know he's like you know what happens when they say when there's blood in the street buy real estate. So like. It's like he bought all of Detroit and then is like, I'm going to go, you know, grease the wheels of the politicians so that we have to bring jobs back to Detroit and I'm going to make out like a fucking bandit. So it makes a little bit more sense in the books, uh, at least the motivation behind his star. And Danny seems like she's been pushed really hard and she just needs a win. Uh, and I think like some of the fighters... Like, Hisdar brings some of the fighters, and the fighters, just like that uh, tutor that we saw a couple episodes back. Remember that guy who's like, please allow me to be a property again? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So, I guess it's a little bit more uh, believable than the way it plays out. I think it's just poor execution. I mean, it's a terrible idea. I, I agree with you. I-, I think the fighting pits are just awful to begin with, but... Uh, the argument, and a lot of the arguments are just ill-constructed on this show, but this is, you know, exceptionally not compelling. This yes, is a real degree. De- I feel I feel depressed after talking about this episode. We're not done yet. I know. I, know. I just said we should not let this episode get us down, but it got us down, buddy. Uh, let's, let's try finish, to make some jokes. Let's try to make some yeah. jokes. Let's try to All joke right. this up. All right, so, uh, so yeah, as uh, his dar was giving his... Uh, plight about bringing the city together. We see a whole bunch of Sons of the Harpy, you know, creeping. We're like the Sons of the Herpes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hey, oh, that's why they wear the there masks. Uh, I was going to have the sores on the lips. Um, anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't think I could pull that one together, did you? No, no. And it probably still doesn't work. Anyway, uh, so we're at a brothel in Marine. Everybody's having a good time. But uh oh, here come the party poopers. <laughs> Sons of the Harpy break in and start slaughtering people. Not everybody, so I'm guessing they're going after Danny Loyalist. I couldn't tell if those guys were unsullied off-duty again. I'm not sure. Regardless, uh, they're causing a ruckus. 
and a group of Unsullied go to check out uh, the slaughter at the, um, I guess the, the brothel, and uh, one of the grieving uh, prostitutes points them in a direction. Uh, but uh oh, she's evil, and she's uh, sending them into an ambush. So, the Unsullied. Uh, uh, are surrounded by a group of the harpy in a corridor and shit goes down and they start fighting each other. And I guess the sons of the harpy are better than these ultra super soldiers that what are the unsullied. Fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've mentioned in the past that the unsullied are they're 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 battlefield soldiers. They're not necessarily in the street soldiers, but for fuck's sake, I mean, these are the best warriors in the yeah. world. And they're just getting attacked by these jabroni uh, sons of the harpy. I mean, God. So let's so start. Stupid. Yeah, in the in the book, this is I'm, more of a I'm shadow. Being angry. I was trying to be yeah. happy, but yeah. now I'm angry. Yeah, again. you're gonna. It's gonna happen. So we'll try to yeah. we'll try to make this light. But uh, the whole point of the sons of the harpy is they are kind of fighting a guerrilla warfare type of thing, where you know they're killing one or two dudes occasionally. They don't ever show up in mass, which is yeah. what what they do here. They show up in a show of force. That's ridiculous. Like, you know, if <laughs> if there's enough of these guys, like, you could unmask them, find out who they are, and get to the bottom of their organization pretty easy. Uh, but it's more of like a hidden thing, and I understand you can't do that in a TV show, but it's just so fucking terrible. So, yeah, they're they're meeting the Unsullied in open combat, which is what you think the Unsullied would be good at. But nope, they get their asses kicked. Um and they weren't even overwhelmed by an absurd amount of numbers. Anyway, Grey Worm is among the group that's uh, battling the uh, Harpies. Barrison out on his stroll. Oh, um, wait a minute. Did we talk about um, the discussion? I think we glossed over the discussion uh, that Barrison Selmy had with Danny, right? Yeah, I mean, she just kind of said, go out and, well, they discussed how he wasn't necessary to protect her from his dar when she was meeting with him, and then she said, go out and sing a song, in allusion to Rhaegar yeah. going out and singing. Yeah. Eh, uh, whatever. So he's out on his walk about going to go sing for some kids or something, creepy old man. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck he's doing, exactly. <laughs> he's out for a stroll, hears the alarm bells, and goes to see what's up. Uh, and the Unsullied of getting their ass kicked, they're all dead except for Grey Worm, who's wounded pretty bad. Uh, Barristan shows up and kills a whole bunch of them, you know, fights valiantly with Grey Worm, uh, even slices some dude's nuts in half, which was particularly gross. Uh, but he suffers a mortal wound at the same time, uh, as stabbing one of the guys and the guy's about to slit his throat and Grey Worm saves him at the last moment, which is, would you think would be great and heroic, but Selmy dies immediately. Like he's dead anyway, so... Why is that a high stakes thing for Grey Worm to save him at the last moment? Don't know. Uh, I don't know. And yeah, one of the greatest ends. bat fighters in the world, along with the, the greatest army of the world, and they're just getting killed by these idiots in gold masks. Good God. I I mean I I don't know because I'm not going to do it. Like it, there is a lot to because I always say we when we criticize the show we should try to put our own ideas out there to make it better. But there's just so yeah. much wrong that uh, you know, I, I just wouldn't have done this. I, so the, in the book, Selmy is still alive. Yeah, Selmy's uh, <laughs> kicking ass. 
He's leading her yeah. armies while she's off in the uh, with the Dothraki or whatever the Dothraki Sea. So I guess the, the they were trying to come to compress storylines here, and also one of the motivations was to make Danny feel more alone. Uh, but still, it's stupid. I don't like it. And also the you know the whole thing with um, Grey Worm showing pain, which is completely contrary to. Um, to what the unsullied are supposed to be, you know, mindless yeah. automatons that actually take potion every night so they don't feel pain. And they're such automatons that if you tell them to fall on their sword, they'll just do it right away. But I did read that maybe this is supposed to be symbolic of him becoming a real person instead of just a mindless automaton. No, that would, that'd be giving the show a little bit too much credit. Yeah, I yeah, think this is think just, so. um, this is just, Hey, this is the one unsullied that has a personality that you guys know. So we're going to treat him like a, like everybody else, he's going to be a normal guy that you can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. This is this shit. Oh, God, I want to kill myself now. Well, actually, no. I just want to maybe drink myself to death. Uh, well, okay. that's killing well, myself. Leaving Las Vegas, son yeah. of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that movie's so disturbing. Dis- uh, is that the one? Disturbing, like, huh? Dis- disturbing, yep. Yeah. It rids you of curbs. Is that the one where the guy, the like slow guy, is like, I want to do it in the butt? I've never seen it. I just know it stars. What? Nick You've never Cage. seen Leaving Las Vegas? No. Uh, no. What, okay. what are you doing? Yeah. Was it on Lifetime Network? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, see the sense. Anyway, it's, uh, it is a good movie uh, because it's one of these things where uh, Nicolas Cage is allowed to be as crazy as he normally is, but it makes yeah. sense. I mean, the guy's such an alcoholic, he can't sign a check. Um, uh, when he goes to the bank, uh, because hands are shaking way too much, so he has to like go to a bar to pound some liquor, so he can come back and sign a check. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty depressing. Oh. Uh, yeah. You so see the it. movie where a guy tries to drink himself to death is depressing. You know, it's not. It's not as funny as The Hangover. <laughs> <laughs> it's along the same right. same lines. Well, Anyway, let's, let's wrap, wrap this up. Let's okay, up. so this is the, after going through it a second time, talking about it with you, this is, in fact, the worst episode of Game of Thrones I think I've ever seen. So I'm going to give it a zero. I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> ordinarily, I would assign a sandwich. It's so bad that it doesn't even get a sandwich. What is it? Is it uh, crumbs? Not even? No, it's nothing. Just, just, you, oh, just, wow, you get nothing. an empty plate. Just Empty plate. So you can eat. You can eat the plate if you're that hungry. You go hungry. You, you go to sleep without any yeah. food in your belly. Yeah. Somehow that's worse than shit sandwich, which is not logic I don't follow. But hey, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what. Yeah, it is what it is. Great, yeah. Great way to end this horrible episode with the horrible uh, statement. Like it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. This We're is. We're gonna try uh, to make the next one more fun. Sorry. Well, well, Sorry. About yeah. We'll make the next one more fun. Hopefully the show will help us out with that. But this was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sucked we agree this is the worst episode don't watch it um sorry you had to if you guys watched it with us i apologize on behalf of the show <laughs> even though i had nothing to do with it we'll uh, do that this is that this is that stockholm syndrome that you've gotten that we've talked about. yeah yeah okay don't 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 uh apologize on behalf of your captors All instead right. it's goddamn episode yeah okay well thank you guys for joining us we will be back next week with more ashamed of thrones uh for oh real quick they murder suicide after watching this episode yeah 
Uh, real quick, guys, before I head out, uh, just to let you know, I uh, started uh, yet another podcast. It's going to be out. Oh, yay! Yay! <laughs> Doug, Doug has more things to say. Yay! yay! I get to rattle off and talk with my uh, quote-unquote friend <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> anyway, this one's about movies. It's going to be very sporadic, and we did the first one on Prometheus in... Uh, anticipation of going to see alien covenant which we will also talk about it is called flick pals you can find it on uh, uh com or linked when you go to ashamedofthrones.com anyway uh check it out it's uh pretty good i mean if you like nerdy sci-fi movies and shitting all over them and if you're listening to this i i'm guessing you do anyway uh obviously brian's not a part of it and doesn't sound like he's a fan his loss <laughs> I'm sure it's terrific, Doug. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, uh, see you guys. Hey. See you guys next Tuesday.